right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. This is it. This is it. This is holiday week. Jimmy Tingle is on the show today. Jimmy Tingle is a comedian who I've known forever from Boston. He's got a thing coming up. He's got a big show coming up at the Wilbur Theater in Boston this Saturday, December 28th. He came out to talk to me and do a couple other things, but it's always nice to get into the groove with a Boston guy, to get into that that rhythm. Mac, how are you? Nice to see you, Mac. Hey, Mac, what's happening? How are you, Mac? Everything all right, Mac? But uh, Jimmy's here, so that'll be happening shortly. Today is the second day of Hanukkah, I believe. And um, I don't know. I, I, for those of you who don't, I don't get caught up in the whole happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, happy. I, I don't, I may, I, maybe I'm just not as, as sensitive because generally, I mean, the appropriate thing to do, it's just a, it's a matter of, um, of habit, I guess. You know, when, you know, when somebody says Merry Christmas, I say, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. And that's awkward for them. But, you know, I mean, I think that's the proper response. Merry Christmas to you. I am a Jew. Why do you say that to me? I think it's fine to react that way. You know, happy holidays. I'm like, yeah, but can you be more specific? Well, Merry Christmas. I'm a Jew. God damn it. So that I think that's the proper response to Merry Christmas. Even if you're not a Jew, it's fun to it's fun to get that angry <laughs> when someone's trying to be nice. Look, it is the second day of Hanukkah, and for those of you who don't know what Hanukkah is, I'm not sure I'm clear either, but I'm pretty sure it's it's when the Jews killed Jesus and burned him over eight different nights, uh, piece by piece. I believe that's it. And there's um there's nine candles, I, I think, and the ninth candle is is it represents Jesus, his arm, which we cut off first, the Jews that did it, and somehow managed the miracle of it is that they were able to light the finger of that arm and um, and it, it burned for, for eight days. They were able to light the other pieces of Jesus. And they, it's, they lined all these pieces up like a menorah. That's where the menorah shape comes from. When they, they cut up Jesus... They, they they stuck him in they, they in eight different places and they slowly set fire over of him over um over the eight days of Hanukkah. I'm pretty sure that's a story. I might be conflating that with a anti Semitic conspiracy theory. I'm not positive. But maybe I should Google that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm way off. I'm way off. Because maybe I'm confusing it with Christmas. Isn't it isn't Christmas when Santa the original Christmas is when Santa killed Jesus and then gave his parts away over. No, no, no. I, oh, man. Oh, it's a birthday. I'm sorry. It's a Jesus birthday. Wow. Merry Christmas. I'm a Jew. God damn it. Um, I hope you are having a happy Hanukkah and I hope your Christmas is uh, pleasant as well because I will not talk to you. I, that was a heavy way to start. I'll agree with that. The dark satire, maybe just crass, morbid religious jokes. Not for everybody, perhaps not funny. 
I want you to have a, a good Christmas and and try to treat each other nice. This there's always the possibility this could be it. I mean, Christmas could be filled with nuclear uh, chaos, Korean nuclear chaos. We don't know. Maybe the whole thing will go up. That's negative. Look. Just enjoy your loved ones. I hope you get some good presents. I hope you didn't buy the wrong present. That's the worst thing, buying the wrong present for the people in your life, the people you love. Here's a present. Why that face? Oh, my God. Is it over? Am I an asshole? Should I go hang myself in the bathroom with the present I bought you? Will that sweater work its way into a noose? So I I got back from Atlanta the other day down there a week and I think uh, I think some of the scenes a lot of times I don't know if I'm doing a good job and I don't know if acting is fun or it's a, a job or if it, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes but by the third day when I was doing scenes with Jennifer Hudson and um, uh, Marlon Wayans it was uh, it was pretty good we had some I, I we had some good times had some good laughs and you know Jennifer's very pleasant it was good to hang out with Marlon who's a comedian as well and have some laughs but I'll tell you the the last night of uh, the shoot, you know, they were long days. They were, you know, at least 12-hour days. And the final dinner was sort of a Christmas party where a lot of the people that had already been shooting, some of the kids came and uh, who, who were in the movie. And they, the you know, the caterers did a, you know, kind of a, there was lobster tails and filet mignon and stuff. But it was, you know, it, you know. Catering and, and being on a film set is a full diversity of people with different jobs, uh, all different levels of jobs, all for different types of people. And it was just sort of a communal kind of event. It's not, you know, there was no, it wasn't orchestrated in any way. There's a, a food line, a buffet, but they they had brought in some local, I believe, local people to sing Christmas carols. There's someone playing piano and a few people uh, singing that they had brought in and this kind of like, it was it was sort of a mess hall vibe. And then Jennifer Hudson came in and they don't, you know, the big stars, they don't always eat with us, uh, us littler stars and the gaffers and the uh, sound people and the makeup people. They, they, sometimes they just eat in their trailer. They have their special food, but it was sort of a Christmas thing. And she came now when you're Jennifer Hudson and there's people at microphones singing songs, you're going to be pressured to maybe sing a song. And she didn't seem to want to do it at first. I was kind of watching it. And she didn't, but it was kind of interesting because they were singing, uh, I don't know, one of one of the Jesus songs. And um, and I, felt, I saw her just sort of kind of moving in, but being pulled in by the music, not by the need to entertain or by the need to um, perform, but by, you know, she just, you know, when, you, when singing is what you do and there's uh, the possibility to do some singing, you know, you, you, you get pulled to do it. And I saw her gradually move up there, and I, I've not seen her perform. I don't know her work, really. I know she's got a great voice, but I'll tell you, man, I mean, when she got on the mic and started singing sort of with this other woman in a harmony, like, there's, it just brings fucking tears to your eyes. Singing for me sometimes, especially a, a spiritual or, or a standard or whatever, but to hear her effortlessly do what she does right there in just a disorganized little room where people are eating dinner at a buffet, you know, it just, it was, uh, it was just very moving. I got all choked up. I don't even know where it came from, but it was pretty fucking awesome. And I'll tell you, the sets look great. 
Uh, everything, uh, the period looks great. It turned out to be pretty, pretty great uh, experience down there, and I'm going back after New Year's. So I just wanted to give you a um, update on that situation, the Respect movie. Again, you never know how much of you is going to end up in the movie, but it started to get comfortable towards the end there. And I got home here, and um, Monkey and Buster are okay. I'd been gone a week, but there was people here at the house the whole time I was gone, so they had people. And I'm trying not to project sadness onto my cats now that Fonda is gone. Um, but uh, but it's hard. you know. Monkey's old as well. He's 15-plus years and he's like, you know, the medicine's working for the hyperthyroid, and he's, he seems good. His weight's good. His energy's good. And Buster's fat. Can't get him to eat wet food, but he eats the dry kidney food. But uh, they both seem a lot more sociable. Well, Monkey's been very warm, but Buster's a little... Maybe it's just now Buster can get equal attention. I really paid a lot of attention to um, to my older cats, to the original crew, than I did him, and, and I don't know, they seem okay. I'm just trying not to look at Monkey and think he's sad. Okay? So Merry Christmas. I'm a Jew. My guest, Jimmy Tingle, uh, I go way back with Jimmy, actually. I mean, it's not like we were close, but I always knew Jimmy. He's one of those Boston guys. He's definitely a, a political comic, but he's sort of a everyman guy, and, you know, he, he went into politics a bit. He ran for office and in Boston, I think for Lieutenant Governor, I'll talk to him about that. But, uh, you know, his story is sort of uh, interesting. He was a bartender at one of the original kind of Boston comedy venues. and But he's just always been there. Jimmy Tingle. Jimmy Tingle. Fucking Jimmy Tingle. And he's here today. He's uh, He's got a big gig at the uh, Wilbur Theater in Boston this Saturday, December 28th. It's Jimmy Tingle's 2020 Vision. And uh, you can go to jimmytingle.com for tickets and all things Jimmy. And this is me. He flew out to uh, do a couple of things out here, this being one of them. It was a real pleasure to catch up with uh, Jimmy Tingle. But you flew in from, from Logan? Yes. Yes. Beautiful Logan Airport. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I flew into Boston not too long ago to do the show, the yeah. Schubert, and uh, it's been. It, it's I don't go there often, right? But I spent a lot of time there in my life, and I don't recognize. You know, this it's like a new tunnel. There's a new bridge. Yep. It doesn't seem like the same airport. It's better. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. They changed everything. Yeah. It's uh, built up a lot over the last uh, twenty years. It really has. But what part did you grow up in? Because Cambridge. I, you grew up in Cambridge, yeah. like in Project Born Cambridge. And raised. No, <laughs> <laughs> is it one of those hard luck Irish tales? No, no, no. Where'd you no, grow up? Right in the middle. Right oh, in the yeah? middle. Yeah, in between. Well, if you know the city, you yeah. know Central Square. Yep. And you know Inman Square, what the Ding Ho was. Right. I grew right up and grew up in the middle, right in between those two squares, and then between Harvard and Kendall. Wow. So yeah, so we had MIT like a mile to one side, Harvard a mile to the other side, Inman Square two blocks one way, yeah. Central Square two blocks the other way. So I was right in the middle. And do you come from a big family? Big. Uh, I'm the oldest of four. Big, yeah. Big Italian family. I'm half Italian. You are? Yeah. So I my mean, mother is from the city. I have, she's I have no Cambridge. idea. She's yeah. A, yeah. And she's got a big family. She was the youngest of 10. What's her maiden name? Diggle Yellow Mole. 
Diglielmo? Diglielmo. Oh. D-E capital G-U-G-L-I-E-L-M-O. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. I thought you were just one of the one of the Irish Boston guys. <laughs> no, uh, half Italian. My father was from the South, actually. He's from North Carolina. So he's I- English, Irish, Scottish, Swedish. And uh, and so he's uh, Protestant. Yeah. And so they met, you know, yeah. via their, uh, their actual siblings, my mother's brother yeah. married my father's sister oh, and they I get met during the war it's a long story but they yeah. met down in north carolina she was a waitress and he was he was stationed he, there he was stationed there he was in the marines yeah it's so funny because like i don't know why i made the assumption just because of you know the mcdonald's and the sweeney's and sure the, and no it, it, people people make that assumption you assume all the like time. you must be from the irish immigrants right you must <laughs> yeah, like We're from the italian immigrants from everybody oh yeah, the, yeah. your mother came over oh from, yeah not her her parents did yeah her mother did when she was like and they ended up in cambridge yeah they settled there it was not far from the north end actually as a matter of fact when they were growing up they went to the north end to church because there was no italian church in east cambridge and it was like a mile walk you know not not too far but it was that whole area well it's like it's interesting because so you're the oldest of four yeah and they everybody with anyone else in show business anyone else make that mistake no <laughs> I started in the open mics mark with you you know I remember well, 80 81 right well I mean it would be you you were at BU no this was earlier see okay. like cuz I remember I vaguely remember the first time maybe I went to the ding ho cuz I didn't really start performing stand up until like the summer of 84 okay like you know, when I was at BU Okay. Really. Um, but in 81, like I remember going to the Ding Ho, maybe, and you were like a bartender there still? Yeah. Is that possible? Yeah, yeah. I was a bartender, daytime bartender and open mic performer. And I was doing open mics and did one open mic, fell in love with the place, told Lenny, I knew Lenny from high school. Lenny Clark? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I knew him from high school. You knew him from high school? I did, yeah. He was the, he, we went to the same high school. He in was Cambridge? A, yeah, yeah. Cambridge Latin. Did they grow up there? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Lenny Clark. Yeah. Mark Clark. And he was hosting Mike the- Clark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was hosting the Wednesday night open mic night. I did it. It had a blast doing but it. But did you and work- I got a job there. Oh, okay. So that's how yeah. that happened. Yeah. But before that, were you just, uh, what, what were you doing? Were you, you a troublemaker? No. In high school? Because no. Lenny <laughs> seems like he would have been a troublemaker. Lenny was the class president. No kidding. Yes, yes. No, uh, I knew Lenny. We were on, we played sports together. He was on the Lenny football Clark team. was the class president. Yeah, yeah. His he class, started yeah. in politics. You ended in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that happen? I don't know, man. He was a popular kid, huh? Nah, he was just, uh, you know, he was the class president. Yeah. He was always a, uh, you know, a sort of a leader, uh-huh. you know, and he was, um, he was into politics, yeah, and- uh, so, no kidding. That, so I knew him. So when he was hosting the open mic nights, yeah. I- um, But what were you, in college? Or did you go to college no, before you entered? Yeah, yeah. But he was, you know, when I got out of school, I um, I study? lived in the neighborhood. In undergrad. History, yeah. education. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. You know what got me into it, really? It was the movie Lenny. The movie, when the movie Lenny yeah, came out, sure. it was like- Dustin Hoffman, yeah, Lenny Bruce. Yeah, yeah. That was an awesome movie. It just, and then, of course, Saturday Night Live yeah. was on the- Who were uh, your favorite comics at that time? Probably well before before I started like when probably you were a kid. Lenny Clark oh excuse me Lenny Bruce yeah but uh, as a kid Jackie Gleason the Honeymooners right you know yeah those yeah. guys were great yeah hot hot Connie yeah yeah <laughs> yeah watching those those guys uh, but you every didn't watch Sunday much stand up when you were a kid not a lot no yeah 
Not, oh, let me think. Not really. Yeah. But as we got older, you know, with, with Saturday Night Live and they yeah. came on the air and then the movie Lenny. And then it just started, the whole scene started in Boston. Really, my major influences were not- Were the local uh, guys. The local guys, you know, in you know, theoretically, the Lenny Bruce type trying to say something and make people laugh at the same time. I was always into that. I thought it was a great, a great format. Yeah, I remember like- um like I remember going there. Like I don't know if I was. I can't remember the year, but I remember Lenny would. I, I must have been on a Lenny Clark night. I don't think I performed, but I remember you were probably still drinking. You were kind of sweaty, and you, <laughs> and you, you had a harmonica. Yeah, yeah. Through most of it. Oh yeah. You did. A- I did songs when I first started. I didn't really know what I was doing. I had, you know, I had a trench coat. I was trying to do like a Blues Brothers thing. I had shades, sunglasses. Yeah, right. I had a beard, natural, yeah. long hair. Uh, you know, trench coat. Really? Yeah, yeah. Trench coat, hat, sh- uh, sunglasses. Yeah. I do these songs. I'm a test tube baby. I'm a test tube baby. That's why I got the blues. <laughs> Was that like the test tube baby song? Yeah, the test tube baby blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just song parodies, yeah. things like that. Uh, when I first started, and, and doing the open mic nights. Well, like who was like what year are we talking? Eighty one. Eighty. Eighty. So like eighty one, and, and that was really the beginning of the ding ho scene. Yeah, seventy nine. So 80. it was who Barry was, Crimmins. Barry Crimmins and Lenny Clark. Barry was the yeah. Barry, Barry was the sort of the founder. Yeah, and he and Lenny was doing the open mics on Wednesdays. Oh, okay, and then, so it was really Barry's brainchild. Yeah. Yeah. And Barry at and that time was uh, also a sweaty, angry, politically <laughs> driven, smoking cigarettes madman, <laughs> but always political, correct? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. We, we all kind of evolved. Right. Sure. It. You know, you find out what you're good at and what you like. You but know, who was around? by passion. Yeah. Who was around? At Paula the very Poundstone, beginning. Paula Poundstone. Yeah. Stephen Wright. Jack Gallagher, Jack Steve Gallag- Sweeney, Mike McDonald, Mike Donovan. They were all coming in? They were the all. Ding? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the original crew. That was the original crew. Lauren Dombrowski. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dennis Leary. Yeah. Uh, Bobby, really? Bobby Goldthwaite uh, were there early? There. Were, Kenny they... Rogerson moved to town. But they were at the Ding? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. I remember Kenny. I remember, but this is, you're saying 1980, 81? 81. Yeah. It, they probably got there. Goldthwaite probably got there, you know, 82, 83, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Paula was there and she went to San Francisco pretty A lot early of them on. Did. Like, who went? Uh, Kevin Meany? Yeah. He came from San Francisco. I think he came from San Francisco. And he right? went back? No, he stayed in Boston for yeah. a long time. He made a big, big, uh, big mark. I think he yeah. influenced a lot of people. Yeah. You know, that sort of persistence of him. You know what he did? Mm. Yeah, him and, he and Sweeney had yeah. a great thing, the Sweeney Meanie Night. Yeah, I remember and they that. They would do that. At Stitches? Yes. And they really brought a form of improv to stand up. There yeah. really wasn't, it was always like you either did improv or you did stand up. But those guys would go on together, and they just had a blast, and it was all it was all off the top of the yeah, head, I remember, you know, off the cuff. And he'd go out in the street oh, with yeah, the mic, and they'd follow him with the camera That's and right. show it on the, screen, the screen in I, stitches. I remember that. And it was it was hilarious. It was funny. He, and like and Meany just had like he had this cadence and this pace. Yeah, it, he was not going to not let you laugh. Right, he, he was just going to keep right pushing. <laughs> and Kenny too. And he always dressed up too. Yeah, he was yeah. always dressed up. Yeah, bow tie. But I, sometimes, I, sometimes I think so. But the blazer. But he, he always had the blazer. Yep. He often had a tie. Yep. Sometimes I think a bow tie. Yep. And he looked so different than the audience yep. for the most part in those at that time. Those crazy times. And Donovan was so funny. Yeah. Like I, but I said, like I started. Wa- I used to go to play it against Sam's to watch people. Chris Collins, yeah. 
Oh man, he was yeah. scary. And, and Chance, <laughs> Chance Wellington, Chance was down to play it against why, him. Barry why, Katz was I know. the booker. Why do people suck? Yeah. <laughs> why do people suck? DJ, DJ, Bob Lazarus, Rich, yeah. uh, Rich uh, Seisler. Yep. Or, you know. You know, Kylie. Yep, Kylie, yeah. Ky- Brian Kylie, right? He, he yep. started there. And uh, there were other guys that were just, just would come and comics. go. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, there was some crazy shit. So, all right. So you, but it wasn't an industry town, Mark. You know? No, I know, but it, it was, was originally, yes. it became a regional powerhouse. Yes. Because it was one of the few places where you could actually make a living. Yep. Because of the one-nighters that Mike Clock, yeah. <laughs> Barry Katz, yeah. uh, you know, Roger Paul. Well, there were all these gigs all over the yeah. place that you could make a couple hundred bucks on a yeah. Wednesday night, you know? But I remember like, okay, so let's go through the, the arc of it. So do you remember when Stephen Wright first showed up? Yeah. At, oh, at, no, he was there before me. Oh, he was? Yeah. I remember the night, though, he got he got booked for The Tonight Show. That's a big deal, right? It was a big deal. Peter LaSalle was coming into town. Yeah. His daughter was working right, at yeah, going yeah, yeah. to Emerson. Yeah, and he yeah. called the Ding Ho. I was the daytime bartender. So he called the Ding Ho, yeah. and he wants directions. He says, I'm, I'm coming in. I want to put up to... He had arranged this previously with Barry. Right. But he said, I'm coming from Emerson. How do I get to the Ding Ho in yeah. Emerson Square? And I'm going, well, you go down Cambridge Street. You take a right in Emerson Square. <laughs> Springfield Street. Go into the, yeah. into the parking lot. Anyway... What what happened? They set up an audition that night. Yeah, and um, and I remember I got a gig out of it because I wasn't I didn't make the cut to be on that level. I wasn't on that level, but they had to they had to cancel a gig and you know they had a couple of comics booked in New oh, Haven. Right, right. So I got the gig in New Haven. Right. So so that was cool. I got two hundred dollars. You took a and, ride. Yeah, yeah. I took a ride. Me and now Tommy and Gilmore. Half. Me and Tommy Gilmore. Tom and Gilmore. Chance, I think, might have been in it. Tom Gilmore. Yeah. Wow. So anyway, we went to New Haven, and but Peter LaSalle came in, saw you know fifteen comics, top people, and you know loved right, and, and that was uh, that. And he the next night, the next night, they put he him on the Tonight Show. It was the it next. Was, night? It was the next night or the night after. No yeah. kidding. Stephen will tell you exactly. Yeah, it was like within two or three days, and then Johnny wanted him back the next night. That's crazy. So it was fun watching it. We all watched it after in the it's, back it's, room. It's inspirational. Oh yeah. Oh, so yeah. now, where where does the booze play into the like you know how do you are you everybody pretty, was drinking are you <laughs> everybody was drinking that was part of the deal Barry uh, ran the place Barry yeah. Cremins our yeah. deal with the Chinese restaurant was that the comics drink for free right so you and, and Kenny I was, all of us hard drinking you know yeah. all of us Meanie. yeah. You know, and it was free. And there were some was... guys that didn't drink as much as others, but there were some that drank a lot. Yeah. But I think was... Kenny's sober now. Yeah, Kenny's sober. Yeah. And uh, quitting drinking was a huge thing. Quitting drinking but was let's, like, like, let's yeah. get through it. So, so okay, so you just walk, you're working regionally. You're doing, yeah. well, you're closing with the harmonica. Well, you know, I, I eventually dropped it. I did it no, for I know, about like, six yeah. months or so. Oh, that was yeah. it? Yeah, I didn't do it very long. Yeah. Maybe a year. Maybe yeah. a year. But you're doing the regional gigs. Yeah, regional gigs coming down in New York. Remember Comedy Tonight? Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Bill Boggs. Yeah. I doing that oh, in the Boggs. early 80s. Early oh, 80s. Oh, you, you it was a real TV show. Yeah. And it was yeah. the first one that Was they, that in New York or in Boston? Yeah, that yeah. was in New York. Comedy Tonight, right. And he had this big head. I remember, you know, you'd sit there <laughs> with him. It, I remember it was one of the first experiences of seeing someone who was on television up close for me. Mm-hmm. Like to be on TV and to realize like, wow, makeup really hides a lot of this shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's what I remember about Bill Boggs. Yeah. It was like an interview show, right? Um, when I did it, it was basically stand-up. You did like five minutes. But didn't you talk like to the guy? Three minutes. I, can't I don't remember. remember if I talked. Yeah, I think so. 
I, I think so. But anyway, that was like a first like TV thing. That was your first TV thing? Yeah. yeah. The comedy time. And a lot of comics did it. All the f- comics in New York did it. And, in the uh, mid-80s? Yeah, but even but earlier, I think. Right. Yeah, probably 83, 84. And then did you end up doing like Caroline's? And, yeah, you know, Caroline's. And Evening yeah. at the Improv? I, did, I think I did one of those. Uh, I'm not sure if I did Evening at the Improv, but Caroline's Star Search. Yeah. Remember when they oh, had the Star, Star Search auditions? I didn't do it. Yeah, you did it? Oh, yeah, I did it with Meanie. Meanie did it. But the, how, I how, lost to Evan Davis Evan my first Davis. time. Evan Davis. But Ed McMahon's daughter would come yeah. up. She came up and uh, where really uh, to Cambridge, to yeah. Boston. Yeah, saw everybody at Stitches. Yeah, and of course they're looking for a TV act yeah. who can work clean for three sure. minutes or yeah. two minutes or whatever it was. There was so, so always... I got it. Meanie got it. I think I think maybe Jack Gallagher. I'm not sure. That makes sense. Yeah. It's so funny those guys are like, I can't do three minutes. Clean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's what I mean about not being an industry town. It yeah. was just free freelance. How man. the fuck? Nobody was do... trying to get on television because there was no television. How am I gonna do three minutes. <laughs> That's so, why when Wright got on, it yeah. was such a momentous thing. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, holy, you know, people can actually go to another level. You can actually be a pro. Yeah. Tom Gilmore, I'm just, I just placed him. Like, because yeah. I, I knew the name and I had it, took me a while to get yeah. his face. Yeah. Did that guy, is he st- is still doing it? Was, it? Yeah, he's still around. Yeah. yeah. Great joke writer. People like Brian Kiley, unbelievable oh, writers. Oh, for sure. So when just did you hilarious. start talking about politics, though? I, you know, when I, Honestly, it's a big shift from song parody to politics. Yeah, when, but even the song parodies yeah. had oh, something yeah. to them. Right. They were just, you know, it was a, it was a very low level attempt at social commentary. But uh, I, I just, you know, what happens is, as you know, you kind of yeah. gravitate with what you're interested in. Right. You know, you just kind of go with, like in college, I studied sociology and history. Yeah. And, you know, I was into uh, minor in education. So uh-huh. I was interested in politics. Did I was you ever teach? In the current events. No, but I was a certified, uh, technically a certified teacher. No kidding. Uh, when I got when I graduated, yeah, I was certified in Massachusetts. I never did actually teach, though. Because I remembered there was a period there, I guess in the 80s, where, you, you know, where there was sort of a, a, a for that time, a, a small heyday. For political comics, and there was only a few of them. Yeah, because there was like that record. Weren't you on that record with on the Strange record. Bedfellows? Yes, it was you and Crimmins and Durst. Me, Crimmins, Durst, and Randy Credico. Randy Credico. Yeah, that was like a big deal. That CD. That I was eighty eight. Yeah, that was eighty eight. That was that late into I think, it. I think. That yeah, was, yeah. So by that time, you had sort of like established yourself. You wore a blazer, yeah. you know, and you were you know kind of a straight up kind of populist politics guy. Yeah, uh, well, it, it started probably. Not, in, yeah. Pol- yeah, it's populist, the word yeah. I want. Proletariat, yeah. working yeah. class, yeah. meat and potatoes. Yeah. Wait, come on, people. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, so I when, think so. So when does that? When do you start really kind of- Well, common sense, you know, is another way of just common sense. But it was probably 80, you know, I, I quit drinking 87, 88. So how did and that by, happen? Yeah, how did it happen? <laughs> How did it happen? Well, I mean, like, well, people, people, people started going downhill, man. People started going downhill, you yeah. know, and that's what really what happened. Uh, but, in what, last year, the drinking, you know, three friends died, three funerals, really, that I was using with, uh, yeah, and it just, you know, it's like holy shit, you know, party's well, over. Were you doing blow and booze? just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah and the regular just, shit, yeah, and uh, it, feeling like you're dying yourself, Ugh, you know. Yeah, I just wanted. I started calling places, and this is actually one of the reasons I eventually ran for office because of the need who we have right now for yeah. people to get into treatment. Oh no, it's kidding. like anyway. So I'm calling places. This is 
Christmas '87, December '87, and I'm getting the runaround. Oh, you, you hit know? your bod- You hit the yeah, bottom in Christmas. Yeah, uh, uh, December, mid-December. Yeah. You yeah. know, going out Christmas shopping, can't get past noon, can't get to the stores. Yeah. You got a big ca- all this cash. I want to do this Christmas shopping. I need a drink. You uh. know, you can't. You can't um, drink and you can't not drink. Well, you know? So were you like, uh, like you were kind of really dug in with the addiction? Like, you know, you woke up, you drank kind of shit? At, at the end, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You had to feel normal, to, just, just to, to feel f- normal. Right, right. You know, just yeah. to take the edge off. How old were you? I was uh, early 30s. Yeah. Early so you'd, 30s. Had, you'd had a pretty good go of it. Yeah. Well, you know, the drinking age yeah. turned 18. When right. I, I turned 18 the same month. Yeah. You and, had to start. And, yeah, man. And it was like a new sport. <laughs> it was a new sport. Yeah. Everybody was, you know, it was just a new sport and everybody, it started off so much fun, as you know, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. It starts off so much fun and then bad shit happens, you know? And also and, when you live in the life, you yeah. know, that, like it's one thing when you're in high school or college, yeah. but when you're doing like comedy and you're living the life, oh man, where you fucking go and you, you're drinking before you go on, then after you go on, you get the free drinks, and there's no reason to get up during the day. You're just fucked, and they're giving you money, yeah, and you're making money, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and you're like you're going, yeah. it's you're like in your own little world, you're yeah. like your own little rock star in this own little right. place, right? In, Bo- in Boston, it was sort of easy, especially for you guys who come out of there. To be rock stars. I mean, you, yeah. you got work. I mean, I remember working there when I had to open for dudes. I don't remember driving you anywhere. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, I drove around. I, oh, yeah, that's how what I started. What were you there, Mark, doing that? In the mid-80s, late 80s? Yeah, I mean, I, I won, you know, I came in second in the riot in 88, okay. right? So that's when really when I started working. Okay. Right? So then I had my 25, 30 minutes, and right. you know, Barry was giving me work opening for the two-man shows. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd drive a headliner and- Go do a half hour and Barry Cats, yeah, yeah. I, you know, for Boston Comedy Company, right? But that's really how I first started paying my dues was doing the half hour slot right. in front of the forty five minute closer, right. on those road gigs, right? And I drove, I drove the best of them. Yeah, <laughs> I was there for the Johnny E's. I did them all. Oh yeah, Pancho Villas and Lemonster. I did yeah. the Taunton Regency. I was there, man. Yeah. I was there. How about the uh, what's the one in Plymouth? The uh, oh. The, the naughty pine, sure. The, the naughty, naughty pine. Oh no! That was <laughs> I a, think it was Plymouth or Quincy. That was a connection room, right? And there was another one, Charlie Somethings, where uh, they got the Bruins on behind you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the you're na- in the middle of your act, and someone scores a goal, and everybody cheers. Yeah, it's a fucking with the naughty pine. <laughs> That was a long-running one. Yeah, that ran for remember a while. Remember the Tipperary? Yeah. The Tipperary one? I remember I did the Tipperary pub. Yeah. Where I don't even remember what part of Boston that was in, but I did it with Bob Seibel. Yeah. The yeah. Madman. Rest in peace. Rest in yeah. peace. A lot of them now, yeah. huh? Yeah. So, but, so, but anyway, I was, I was in New York by the time you started doing that. I was already in New York. Right. I remember. But you start calling people on yeah. in, to, to, to get sober and you couldn't get hold of anybody? Oh, no. No, I was calling uh, detoxes, rehabs, treatment centers. And nothing? Eventually, I got in yeah. Cambridge City Hospital. Cambridge City Hospital. Yeah. The guy, the man said, and the, how unusual is this? I said, listen, yeah. man, I, I really need help. And he said, you called the right place. I went in, stayed seven days through Christmas 1987. Yeah. I got out. I moved to New York. I focused on stand-up comedy and recovery. And that's all I did for a year. A year later, to the week, I went on The Tonight Show with Johnny. No kidding. Yeah. And it was like, and, and my friend Colin Quinn said, Jimmy, if you stop drinking, man, you can really be... A good comic. You so he was there for you. He Colin, was, yeah, solid yeah. recovery guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah he and, was, and he was really helpful. So, that, so that's an, an amazing because I like I know where you lived because there's this weird thing, and I think we talked about it off the mics once before. I remember when Frankie Bastille Frankie. moved to Boston. Yep, 
I, you know, he kind of, you know, he kind of grabbed onto me. I was his yeah. lackey. Yeah. And I'm driving him around. And I didn't know he was strung out. I didn't know about dope and heroin and yeah. shit. And I remember one time we did a gig in like Mystic, Connecticut or somewhere. And he's like, let's stop at Tingle's, you know, down <laughs> at you because he's living on the Lower East Side, right? Oh, in the, oh, in New York. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know if you remember this, but it was sort of weirdly embarrassing because I didn't realize what was happening. He went and scored dope. Yeah. And then he did some. Yeah. And then he's like, he's pouring sweat. Yeah. He's out of his fucking mind. His girlfriend, Karen, she's nodding out. And he's like, let's go visit Tingle. <laughs> and we go knock on your door and you're on your way out to do a gig at a, some yeah. restaurant or something. You're yeah. all dressed up. But you're yeah. like, and Frankie's like, I got to take a shower. Yeah. And you let him show. <laughs> we, and then we, and you left. Yeah. And then we left. It was the weirdest thing. How can you not trust Frankie Bastille I, when he wants to take a shower? <laughs> it's, he never stole from me. Yeah. But, you know, he was a hustler. Yeah. But, you know, but I didn't realize how, like. He was that, a road warrior. Yeah, for sure. But I didn't realize he was, that, that's what we were there for. I was yeah. driving him to yeah. pick up dope. And he, you know, he needed to take a shower because he yeah. was all sweaty and burning up. Yeah. But uh, you were very kind. The Lower East Side, yeah. I was down what? on Evan. I was on Clinton Street. This is like 88, 89, 90. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's when I was driving around. This was my first couple years of stand-up when I was driving headliners to gigs. Right. And I didn't know nothing. I didn't know anything about the Lower East Side. It was chaos then. Yeah, it was. I eventually lived there. I mean, yeah. in 89, I ended up on second between A and B. Right. So when you got to Hicks you, was down there at that time. He he didn't was he in the Lower East Side though? Yeah. I, he only he didn't last long there because I remember hanging out with him a couple yeah. times. He didn't love New York. Yeah. It wasn't like it was so it was hard to watch him in New York because New Yorkers like they don't give a fuck <laughs> how you know like if you're going to be all angry you better have a pretty good reason, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so they'd watch Hicks and be like, "Why is he yelling?" You know, like you got like you know, and you, you, you if you with Bill you can't it's got to be longer than 15 minutes, yeah. man. You're not going to get the gist of it. Yeah. But uh, I remember when he was there, we spent New Year's Eve. It was probably New Year's Eve 90 or yeah. 90. Yeah, maybe, was that right, about right? Eight, yeah. About 90? I think he was there 90. Right. It was Everybody New worked the catch. Right. I, I, we, I was mostly, I couldn't really get on a catch, and I refused to kiss Lewis's ass. I couldn't stand him. So I was at the old improv, the original improv. Okay. Like on 44th Street. Right. And, and it's, it's slow decay. Right. And that's where Hicks was. I remember Hicks walked in. It was New Year's Eve. We all just didn't know what we were going to do. And like, let's, he's like, come on, let's go look at the ball. And I'm like, all right. And it was me and Vitaly and Hicks. And we got about a mile away from the fucking thing and just hit a wall of people. And he's like, fuck this. Let's go back to the improv. That was a that was New Year's Eve with Bill Hicks. Yeah, yeah. But he was there. But it was yeah. It was un, it was pretty wild. So you place. moved down there in '88. I moved down in '80. Yeah, moved down there in '88. So we you, did that album with uh, Barry and Randy, and and, and, and you had a little juice. Yeah, a little a little traction with that. Yeah, yeah. It was good to do. Absolutely. So when you got down to New York, where you got out, you were already working at Catch, or you had to wait around? Worked, no, no, I was working at yeah. Catch. It's an industry town, as yeah. you know, and you can things can happen. Yeah. You know, HBO special, half hour specials when they were doing those. I did HBO half hour. Yeah. Did we do in the same? I don't think we did the same run. I did my '95. Yeah. I, I did it, I think it was 91. So when you're 92. there, though, like, so you're there 88, and, like, you know, I got there in 89, and that's when they're shooting. You do the, the Caroline's Comedy Hour yes. shooting there. Yeah, did that. Right, and then the oh, MP- down at the Seaport, right? right? the Seaport was the first one. Then they, right. she shot them at the other place when she moved, yeah. Right. But the first ones I did with the, at the Seaport. Right. Right, and that weird little, it kind of looked like a nursery school set. Mm-hmm. It's just the colors <laughs> were kind of, the whole place was kind of odd. But, uh, but, yeah, so then... Are you headlining on the road starting in the late 80s? Is that the deal? You know what I'm doing? I'm headlining yeah. on the road. Yeah. yeah. 
headlining on the road, and uh, then the one-man shows started. Uh-huh. Jackie Mason. Right. Saw Jackie Mason in 89 mm-hmm. in New York, mm-hmm. and saw a guy in his element on stage yeah. in a theater yeah. in New York, right. 2,500 people. Yeah. Do you know what it's like to be in a theater and 2,500 people are, are, are laughing hysterically? Yeah. I don't either, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jackie Mason's there, and he's he's just killing it, and he's doing what he loves to do. He's just being himself, right? And I said, "That's what I want to do." You want to do the so? I just show. I just started working on that format. I just liked it. I left the the theater that night just really inspired, and I just said, "That's yeah. that's what I want to do. Yeah. Work alone because the more political you're getting, like you were saying about the crowds in New York, right? Right? You know, you're doing 15 minutes, and they're kind of getting trying to get away from the news, and right? You know, yeah, and it's and also it's, like you know, you in order to do political comedy effectively, you know, you have to they have to understand your point of view outside of just political jokes. So yeah. it takes a minute to dig in. Yeah. So okay, so you yeah. knew right away that the long form one man show. I liked it. Yeah, so when did you do your first one? I'm trying I, to remember. I just started working out in the village, Barry's Place, doing the Boston Comedy Club. You know, three people. Sure. One no. night, Irvin Arthur came. He was so kind. Irvin Arthur yeah. came. He was my agent at the time. He brought Michael Green, Michael Green's sister, and Henny Youngman, yeah. right? And I'm doing- I I'm doing, remember that. Yeah. What year is that, 89? This is like 89, 90-something. Yeah. That's just, when I'm working And, and I'm saying- a, Irvin, Irv, I want to, you know, do the one man show. You got to help me. He goes, yeah. all right, I'll come down and watch it. You yeah. know, so there's no one in there except those four people. I'm doing like 90 minutes. At one point, I turn around and Henny is out. He's just Sweet. sleeping. Well, he was like a hundred. <laughs> yeah, but he, but uh, yeah, he yeah. was out. He was out. But so you were doing them. You were running it like before, like at six or seven o'clock before they do the yeah. evening shows. I was probably. I, I was always a, maybe a Monday night or a Sunday night right, or I something. Kind of it was remember. an off night. See, and, that's where you'd workshop it. Yeah, go there and just. I was just into it. And, uh, the worst, and the isn't thing, it hard to do for nobody though? It is. Did it help you to do it for nobody? It did. It did help me. And it um, it helped me just to do it, just to. So mine was basically a long set. Right. It was a long set of stand up, mm-hmm. and it was, you know. But that's what I was doing. But the other thing is, if you're doing something that's social and political, yeah, or trying to relevant, you know, you you just need to, like you said, stretch, stretch out. out. You need to stretch out. You need to. Just get it out. And it was all motivated. And the other thing is, newly sober, you're trying to work clean. How was that for you? It was hard. It, what, what, what about it? It was hard. Nerves. Yeah. Just uh, uncomfortable on stage. Oh, yeah. You know, when you yeah. first start, you're like, oh, man, look at all these people. I know. They're all looking at me. No buffer. <laughs> no buffer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, but then you just... You know, just do it. And the clubs were hard. I found I found the clubs difficult. Uh, fit, you know, newly sober uh-huh. to be up there, and everybody's oh, drinking, yeah. and everybody's you know, yeah. And you're on a kind of a different thing. And so, anyway, that's one of the reasons I just gravitated towards theater more and more social and political. '89 was an amazing year historically. The walls coming down, yeah. and all this stuff is happening with yeah. the end of the Cold War, and people are just there was just a this inspirational feeling that was in the air you know yeah that, that i felt and i just was into it yeah you know? and when now, when did politics. carson happen 88 and so, after that i just wanted to just that's all i wanted to do did it help you the carson at that time it did yeah yeah it, it helped a lot got an agent from yeah. it got to work on the road yeah you know of uh, it led to HBO, the half hour special, things like that. You're just out there, sure, you know. And it was sure. the only show. I mean, I think Letterman was just on. When was Letterman on? No, like he's on. Yeah, he'd been on. Yeah, a couple years. Yeah, yeah. He came on, I think, '84 or something. Maybe. Yeah, but anyway, it was. Uh, yeah, it was good. 
but it, but, but it was moving. still just very passionate towards mm-hmm. the one man show. Yeah, format. and that so in '89 that, that was sort of what you did. You kept building one man. Just shows. kept doing it, doing did, it, did what, it down in New York. What did you do? Like a run somewhere? Did you yeah, get to do I an actually did a, run? Yeah, I did uh, the American Place Theater. Oh, yeah. uh, Jack Rollins actually uh, helped oh, me yeah. out. He oh, came. He uh, yeah, he he. Uh, Jack he, Rollins and his eyebrows. I remember yeah. I've met him before. He had these colossal <laughs> eyebrows. What a manager. I, yeah, I met Jack Rollins and it didn't go well. Uh, but he was old already. But he was definitely a powerful guy. Yeah. And he came and saw it. Oh, he came and, and saw it said, and wanted to help. And, uh-huh. and, and yeah, help me, invested in it. He did? Yeah, he did. He he liked it. He liked the point of view. Yeah. He liked what I was trying to do. Right. And he was just, you know, he, he, loved, uh, he loved the comics. Oh, that's, Whoever he, he managed, he yeah. was just... In their corner, one hundred percent. He would come to with me to radio shows, and he was, you know, he was in his He's late seventies, yeah. you know, at the so time. So he was managing you, yeah, for a little while, yeah, about a year or so, and but just was completely invested in the show, and we did it off Broadway at uh, the American Place Theater, and you know, you do it for a couple of months, and if it doesn't really take off, yeah, we got great reviews in New York Times, but it didn't, it never went to the next level, right? A, a long Broadway run, or right, anything right, like that, but it was great to come back up to Boston and work there and started producing myself. I mean, just doing your own thing. Like you've done with yeah, the podcast. Sure. You make your own breaks, take yeah. the initiative. I started renting out theaters. Well, when did you do the, uh, like, I remember there's a big deal. I guess that was much later. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So, because I remember, yeah, I mean, you think you got 60 minutes later. Yeah. But but, w- but you start doing the theater. Was that the, the theater. Boston Bake Theater? Uh, when no. did you have that residency there? You owned. Yeah. You, like, you know what I did. You know what I did. I went up to Boston yeah. after I got out of New York. You I, moved I back. rented. Yeah, yeah. I moved back yeah. after the run at after, the American Playhouse. Yeah, after the American Place Theater. Were you bitter? Were you sad? No, Dejected? No, no, no. I just felt like well, uh, my p- father had passed away. My mother was yeah. in disarray. You know, uh-huh. there was family reasons to yeah. move back. My girlfriend lived there at the time, was now my wife. There was a lot of reasons. But the other thing is I didn't want to go back into the clubs and I wanted to get on stage and I felt I could, go, I could do well up in Boston if I could get a theater. And I rented the Hasty Pudding Theater. Yeah. And I rented it and t- produced myself. I learned how to produce yeah, myself. Yeah, and how'd that go? It went great. I yeah. made more money and had more, you know, it was just- people? It brought it more people, more money. You're on a different level. This is, these are theater people coming in to see the show. And- uh and it was great, and to learn how to produce, so then you don't, you're not subject to waiting for the phone to ring. What, it, what now? It's so funny. The the kind of like I, I guess that's why I never really I found myself in, in a situation where I was driving you to a road gig or anything because you did you you knew enough about yourself once you got sober to know that you you just didn't want to deal with the club. It just wasn't my thing mm. anymore. Yeah, you know, it was great, and I love doing it. And I still go in. I work out all the time. Yeah. I go in, do ten minutes, fifteen minutes, trying to old stuff, new stuff, and I love it. Right, because that's where you can get your pacing down for yeah. jokes, for yeah. TV sets, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all I'm a big supporter of the clubs, but just for me, the way I was in, going yeah. in. Yeah. I was doing the Hasty Pudding Theater, and you can be, you don't have to be hilarious every 15 seconds. Right. You, know? you can have peaks and valleys in terms of commentary. Uh, so, commentary is not a negative in the theater. Yeah, that's right. You got a little more space. You got space. You yeah, can yeah. Turn, you know, and it's just, you can branch out, take not on a laugh different per subjects. Trip. Yeah, yeah d- take on different subjects. Uh, you know how it is. When I sure. saw your show at the, yeah. the, yeah, the sure. Schubert, it was like, great, man. Just valleys, man. Nothing yeah. but valleys. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about a theater, the valleys are very compelling. Oh, sure. And theaters are like they're yeah. hanging on every. Yeah, it's actually a problem when you do theater. Sometimes it's like the, 
Because where I tape my special is yeah. actually a legit kind of black box theater. I think yeah. the expectations of that space are heavy. Yeah. Right. So like the the comedy thing, they're like, I don't know, is this, you know, can we laugh? You know, right. Yeah, yeah, laugh. <laughs> of course you can laugh. But uh, but yeah, but uh, but the older theaters. So how how long did you run? Did you do a residency I did at Hasty like Pudding? Six months. And what you what do you mean? Like you learned how to produce? What does that entail for that it, kind it of means, shit? It means finding the space. Sure. Putting up the money, yeah. renting it out, yeah. hiring the publicist, yeah. hiring the sound, the light. If the theater doesn't have it, right, hi, hi, hiring the tech people. And then you do this in different marketing. cities. I did it. I did it there. I from there, I went out to L.A. A couple of years later, did it at the Coast Playhouse in Los Angeles. How'd that go? That went well artistically. Yeah, but it's very hard to draw people. It is. And I was thinking, oh, this will be, you know, a little. This I want to repeat this model in yeah. Los Angeles. Right. And the only issue is it's a much bigger city. People don't walk around. It's not Harvard Square. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but artistically, the reviews were really great. Isn't it horrible, though, L.A., when you come doing something with expectations? Oh, man. Like, I've done that. I like, moved. I brought my wife. My son was one year old. You moved here? Yeah. I was here from, uh, what year was it, 90... 98? Uh, yeah, well, why, why'd you move? To, to do the show. I wanted to. Well, you going to dig in show for a year? Yeah, man. I dug in and I rented the theater. I stayed five months. The Coast Playhouse, and wow. you know what it was? It was an El Nino hit. It was like '98 <laughs> El Nino, and the weather people are coming on and going. Whatever you do, don't leave the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> it's raining. Get in the basement. It's like house it, is coming down. And you we, at the Coast Playhouse has yeah. a tin roof, so when it rains, you <laughs> yeah, can hear yeah, it. Like... So you're on stage, and the audiences are. You know, initially they were big, but I kept feeling like it would build. Yeah. But it never really built <laughs> to yeah. a critical uh, mass. Yeah. So we'd have like, you know, 13 people and you can hear the raindrops. Oh, <laughs> and I'm in a valley yeah. right, and I'm making a serious point. <laughs> and you hear the raindrops. <laughs> <laughs> but we stayed there five months. But I got to oh, tell you, Mark. You took a beating? Took a beating financially. <laughs> yeah. But artistically, very yeah. successful. Took a beating financially. But I was going back to Boston to yeah. get a gig to, to do a show. Right. I saw a newspaper article. On the plane, yeah. USA Today. It yeah. said sixty minutes too. Sixty right. minutes is going to do a sixty minutes too. Right. And they have all their people. They have all the correspondents. The only person they don't have is the Andy Rooney guy. Right. And so I have been pitching myself to do commentaries in New uh, in Boston and in L.A. to these various television stations. Let me do the Andy Rooney spot type thing. Like on I'm, what shows? Like just on? you know the news shows, the, not the Daily Show. Did you try? No, to do? no, no. This was more like the network television yeah, yeah. coming out of the news. You right, know? right. That's where I thought the topical humor would be you just know appreciated. Bit. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, no one was interested, but I saw this article. Yeah, I called, I called Brostein call? Gray, yeah. Ray Rio, and I said, Ray, please send him the tape, man. Oh, and he was he your manager said, at the yeah, time? Yeah, and he sent him the tape, and uh, next thing I know, well, th three months later, ended up with an interview for the job yeah. to do the Andy Rooney spot on 60 Minutes 2, and that was awesome. That lasted a couple of years. You were there every week? I was there doing the, the you know, for the- right. for the. Nine months of the year, yeah, for two years. That's two great. Seasons. You get your insurance. Yeah, yeah it was great. <laughs> Go to the dentist. You get paid. Yeah. You're staying in these great hotels in New yeah. York, right? The Essex House overlooking the park. Oh, that's, it was great. That was great. A, what is what a sweet thing to happen? Yeah, you, you know, like because like it sounds like it was like also one of those moments where because because the nature of what we do. I was gonna quit, man. Yeah, I was so despondent. I mean, I lost a you lot were, of money. Right? I made all the money that I used at the Hasty Pudding Theater, and I said, "We're going we're to gonna, L.A. We're gonna, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna go to another level." You know, and 
You didn't lose all of it, but you know, it's just you're not making any money. And was it's, the expe- it's hard. Was the expectation to sort of get into TV? Do you think, or did you just think you were going to be able to get run a, a special sh- right. run? Yeah. D- be open for business, sure, you know. Be sure, open for business. Sure. Just be out there yeah. to be working, and then you just get lost out here. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it it, it went fine, but it yeah. just didn't make any money, right? You know, and that's not that's the norm, right? That's Don't, you know, it's, I know it's highly unusual to make any money in theater. How do you make a million dollars in theater? Idea. Start with two million. It's highly, it's highly <laughs> unusual to make any money in show business <laughs> at a certain level, man. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like when we're coming up. It, you know, it's just so fleeting. You know, you, even if you get a deal, you're like, great. And you know enough after a certain point, like, I'm not spending this money. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> Like I see, like yeah, I, I'm I'm fortunate to have been in this game since I was like 20. Yeah. But you know, you see these guys, they get these deals. Remember back in the day, they give like even Lenny, like you get these you know, on-air commitments, and he's buying houses, yeah. and Cadillacs <laughs> or whatever. My buddy Tom, he bought a Cadillac for everybody. I'm like, Dude, did he really? Tom Rhodes, yeah. He's like, I'm buying. You know, wow. When they got the network deals, yeah, yeah. They went out and spent all the money. I'm like, who the? I, how do you spend that money? I, you know, I, uh, I to this day. I'm weird about spending money. Yeah. Because it just, because a comic brain. I don't yeah. know how long this is, I'm going to have this. Right. Right. Fuck, I'm the man. same way. So, but the run with the 60 minutes. Now, how did that affect the, 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 the one man shows? I mean, were you able to, yeah, to just been parlay able to keep, that? Yeah, just keep working. Yeah. But did it, did it, people know you from that, from 60 they minutes? They did. Yeah. In, in the Boston area, uh, primarily. Yeah. And it just allowed me to keep working. Get great credibility. Yeah. Um, you know, great credit. It was good income. Made learned about the business, and it was also at a time where yeah. that the news and the the media wasn't as fractured as right. it is now. Yeah, and it wasn't advocacy journalism. Yeah. Like I mean, they had standards. You had to. Yeah. You know, they. It wasn't. It wasn't just like an automatic. Oh, Jimmy's going to do a commentary. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, it was just like right. we're going to put this through the strainer. We're going to make sure this is right. The lighting, the sound, yeah. the commentary is what it has to be for network television following uh, sixty minutes episodes yeah. on, on Wednesday nights. So it was a much more controlled environment, much more. Uh, jur- you were within stronger the, journalistic standards. The CBS yeah. News Corporation. Yes. So you were within exactly. that, that world. Right. It wasn't. Set, it wasn't like uh, the Weekend Update. Yeah. You know? yeah. No. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Which was which was great. It was just it's just well, harder. You weren't, but you weren't doing that. You you were doing sort of socially relevant topics. Yeah. Right? You weren't just. Uh, Andy Rooney would talk about marbles for 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> well, he did. He would find these interesting twists or interesting yeah. insights on the simple, yeah, and, simplest things. Yeah. And I was more, I was definitely more politically driven in terms of larger issues. And I'm talking about, you know, everything from, you know, the death penalty to guns and, yeah, you know, yeah, the, the sure. issues of the day. Yeah. And that's really wasn't, wasn't what the spot was for. But it, it lasted two years. And yeah, they let you it, do it, huh? Yeah. They yeah. let me do it and it went well. And and, uh, and after that, is that when you took the residency in uh, uh, Somerville? Yeah. yeah. I, I went back to Massachusetts. Um, basically, I wasn't still living there. But anyway, yeah, I wanted a place to work. You were going, you were commuting to New York every to, other? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted a place to work, yeah. to be on stage, yeah. to do my own thing. Yeah. And that theater was available, and I started renting that theater. What was it called? The Boston Bay? It was called the Boston Bay Theater. I, yeah. I used I to live in Somerville. Yeah. Davis Square, yeah. Yeah, and... uh Boston Bake Theater was below the, it was right next to the Burren, yeah. the great Irish pub in Davis Square, right across the street from Red Bones, great yeah. barbecue place. Yeah. 
and the the landlords were super, the Gorin family, and they said it's for rent, and they yeah. wanted me in there yeah. because I had some somewhat of a reputation at this point, and we rented it and stayed five years, renamed it Jimmy Tingle's Off-Broadway Theater. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. Well, yeah, you let me do my one-man show there. Yes. I ran one of the one-man shows there. Yeah. I can't remember which one, but I definitely worked out there oh, for yeah, a you long did. form a few nights, I think. You did. We yeah. brought you in. We brought in, we did the... Uh, unconventional comedy convention in 2004. Yeah, for the de- when the Democratic uh, the Democratic Party had their convention in Boston in 2004. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, that's when Barack Obama first. Uh, yeah, made a national. Splash I remember. Yeah, the, he, when he, he opened he, for Kerry. Yeah, when he, yeah, great opening spot. Yeah, <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, he blew did. the headliner out yeah, of the water. He did. It's not red state or blue state. It is the United States of America. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, we did the unconventional comedy convention there, and it was all political humor. It was I, you were there, Janine? Mm. We had Cremens. Uh, yeah, we had Durst. We had Mort Saul. We had Lewis Black. We had, you know, over the course of a month. Yeah. We booked all these different acts there. I wonder how Durst is doing. I think he had yeah, some health issues. Yeah, I hope he's all right. Yeah. yeah. I heard he had a stroke recently. Yeah. yeah I, I think he's okay. Okay. From what I saw on Facebook anyway. Oh, good. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you were- you, So, we did that. You had, for, I did you had that for place. five years. Five years. Yeah. And you were producing and everything and you rented producing it. Producing it. Were you making a living over there? Does it work yeah. now? Yeah. I was working, but I was making a living- in other ways as well, because I could do other shows, my yeah. own shows. But, but I could you book make... it out, right? I yeah. mean, did you have just a straight up comedy night or two, or no? We we had theaters, we had music theater. It was oh, yeah. a lot of different things. It wasn't just a com- it wasn't a comedy club, right? And which is, you know, for the broader picture is good, but yeah. for marketing and for making money is probably not the best way to what, do it. A variety because, house, yeah, it was yeah. more of a variety. I mean, we'd have your one person show, we'd have a band, yeah, we'd have a, a night of uh, poetry slam, we'd uh-huh. have it was more of an alt place, yeah, you know. Uh, but it was great. We did the Ding Ho reunion there a couple of times. Oh yeah, that was funny. We had Kremens down there, and you know, uh, the Stephen whole crew. Wright, yeah, Steve Wright. Yeah. We did a lot of stuff. By the way, one of the guys I forgot to mention about the dingo was yeah. Gavin. Oh, yeah, of course. The great Don Gavin. I think I'm going to interview him in a couple months. Oh, good. I love Gavin. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was really something, man. Yeah, he was. But we had all those folks there. But it was it was good. But you, again, you learn the business. You know, you can make your own breaks and you do what you want to do. Well, how'd that come to a close? It came to a close because the lease was up after five years and the choice was, do you want to go for another five years? I oh. had it I had it like you could extend every year. Right. So I didn't have to sign in for five years. But after five years, I had to re-up for another five years and I didn't want to do it. Right. I was just, I was tired. Now, where did you find time? Because I know that like at some point, you, like you went to Harvard? I got out of there, yeah. I, when I left the theater, I was looking for things to do and I was just saying, you know, I want to do something that has more... I don't know, maybe more of an impact, you know. Um, that was the big shift, right? Yeah, yeah. Where you started uh, thinking about I, I, act, actually being involved yeah, in politics. Yeah, I wanted to learn more. I felt like maybe I'd like to run for office or really? do something or, or try to use entertainment for purposes beyond just entertainment. Yeah. Right, to do something that has some sort of a meaning. Because you know how it is. We do our shows, and you could talk about the greatest ideas in the world, and right. then the show's over. Right. And everybody goes their separate ways. Right, and, what, and, and what is, what, how, how are you actually invested? You know, it's very, yeah. it's because there's a, there's a way that we think sometimes. It's like, hey, I'm talking about stuff, right? I make an impact by saying things. Yeah. But, you know, the people that really make an impact get their, you know, they roll their sleeves up and they're in it. Right. They're doing the work. Right. And we're just sort of like, hey, I hate that guy and this sucks. And yeah, hey, yeah I hope uh, I hope I change some minds out there. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not that everybody who's doing that is, is, is that... Uh, 
superficial right. about it, but right. but it's not it's not the art form's not designed for to, to for calls to action necessarily. Yeah. Right. But the Kennedy School, I just kept meeting people. They said, "What are you doing now, Jimmy?" I said, "I don't know." They said, "You should check out the Kennedy School." And what is it? What is it exactly? It's the School of Government, Harvard right. Kennedy School. But anyone of Government. can get it's in a master's way? degree. No, <laughs> it's a sorry. master's. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be yeah. condescending. <laughs> yeah, hey, you anybody in? can go you, in. Just, we just call up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Mark? It's what? funny when it first, when that place first came on the map in '78. Yeah. I can remember walking by, and. Yeah. Very much in a very despondent, very active mode. Yeah, in '78 because I still lived in Cambridge at the time. It's right by and, the water, right? It's like two blocks yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, and I got a, I got like one of the, um, yeah, admission booklets. Right, right. <laughs> I'm looking right. through. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. yeah. Goes, man, I'd love to go here someday. But anyway, so after 2007, when the theater closed, I just. People said, you should apply. A friend of mine who's on a Cambridge City Council, Marjorie Decker, said, Jimmy, you should apply to the Kennedy School. A couple of other people yeah. did. Yeah. Howard Zinn wrote me a letter. Tommy O'Neill wrote a letter. You knew Zinn? Yeah, I knew Zinn. How did you know Zinn? I know Zinn from, I did a lot of shows down in Wellfleet. And his son, Jeff Zinn, wrote, ran a great theater down there called uh, the what? Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater. Uh-huh. And it was right on the water. When I left, actually, when I left the American Place Theater in 93, I went, I went, looking for gigs, yeah. looking for theaters, and right. that was one of the places I went. Howard came to the show, loved the show. Uh, he was great. We became friends, friends of the family. Did he inform any of your thinking? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Because to have a, a personal relationship with a guy of that stature, you yeah. know, a, a sort of a, a, a singular a political thinker, yeah. you know, and, and, and definitely progressive, but also someone who wrote the the kind of bible of of uh, reinterpreting history right uh, you know from the victim's point of view right uh it must have been something to to have kind of a private relationship with him oh yeah well he came to the shows loved that he was a big supporter of the theater did he suggest things like did he say did he help how did he help your thinking um i mean like cuz it seems like he's a guy that would be like you know put things into a different perspective you know he 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 just liked what I was doing. Yeah. He liked what I was doing. Yeah. He was also a friend of Barry Cremins. Yeah. Um he he just supported the comedy. He supported yeah. the arts. He loved the fact that it was political. It was about something. The shows were about something. You're trying to make points. Yeah. You're making people laugh, pointing out hypocrisy, pointing out inequality, mm. um, taking on bigger subjects that were difficult to talk about and that you can do in a theater. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he, ta- well, he, and he was fearless. Yeah. He was fearless. Well, the people's history of the United States is that, you know, it's a pretty fearless book. And he, yep. I remember he taught it to you. I didn't take his class, but it was hard to get into them because it was right. like quite a sh- an event. Yeah. Yeah, it was a show to yeah. go they, to be in his, uh, you know, his lectures and stuff. Right. People loved it, and he was out out front against though. He was he was out front, yeah, on behalf of the civil rights movement in the fifties. Yeah, he taught at Co- uh, Spelman College in the South, right? Women's African American College, and was on the forefront of that early, the civil, civil rights, rights movement stuff, yeah. in the late fifties. And he was just very committed, and. Uh, and he was fearless about the war in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. He was fearless about Iraq. And even when after 9-11, he was opposed to Afghanistan. He was yeah. opposed to Iraq. You know, And so he took a lot of heat, but he never backed down. He was just very, very committed to his, his point of did view. Did Chomsky so, ever come see your shows? Oh, yeah. I, I actually did a show with Howard and Chomsky. Oh, wow. Yeah, we did one for a fundraiser for the <laughs> theater up there in Wellfleet. Yeah. And it was, it was pretty cool because- well, Is Chomsky a witty guy? 
you know, he is. Yeah. He is a witty guy. <laughs> he is. And it was funny because uh, we did, I was the MC. What yeah. I, I was MCing, and we had uh, Howard on and then Gnome. And we did it in a church in Wellfleet, Mass, the, uh, the Congo Church. Uh-huh. It was about 800 people. It's packed. This is like, this is before 9 Where's Wellfleet? Wellfleet is in the Lower Cape. Oh, okay. The okay. Outer Cape. Yeah, it's yeah. about 10 miles uh, north of P-Town. Okay. Yeah. Uh, very cool area. And um, so you're so doing it's me. the show. I'm yeah. doing the show, and I'm emceeing, and it's about. But they were all about. They were all about pointing out the inequalities and mm-hmm. what's wrong, mm-hmm. right? And and they were also about galvanizing people, but not in an, an like there was never any um, movement. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like an organized movement. Like it was never a political party, right? You know. And I always felt like that's what we need to do. We need to be united to, to for social change. It's got to be some sort of a movement, not just disparate voices, right? And uh, but I remember we were we had just passed this thing up in Massachusetts called the uh, clean elections. It was public financing in Massachusetts. Yeah. And it passed the ballot. We yeah. got 60% of the vote and the legislature wouldn't fund it huh. in Massachusetts yeah. at the time. So I was so inspired by Noam and Howard talking about, you got to take action. I said, listen, we need to do a march. We need to march from Lexington and Concord to the Boston Common and we got to march on behalf of clean elections to get the legislature to fund it. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so everybody's, yeah. And so that was like a big just it just motivated me to get involved. Did you and do, do the some, march? Yeah, we did it. We did it, and nine eleven happened like a, a month later. This was in August of two thousand one. Yeah. Nine right. eleven happened, you know, a month September, later, yeah. and we did it like two weeks after the nine eleven. We did the march, carried the flag the whole way. It was awesome. A couple hundred people, fifteen mile march. Uh, it was great, but it was those type of people that motivated me. So it wasn't just comedy. It was like, what are people? You know, people who are thinking outside the box, right. pushing the envelope politically, pushing the envelope and socially. And progressive politics. And pro- exactly. And so so you applied to Kennedy Center. I, pl- I applied to the Kennedy School and got in. Yeah. Couldn't believe I got in. I was the only comedian never to get in. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a ball. That was, you know what was great about it, Mark? Three years? It's one year. One year. One year. It's a mid-career program. Uh-huh. And uh, when you get out, you, you get a master's of public administration, but- the great thing about it was it was so uplifting to be around people who are committed. Yeah. They're from all walks of life. You had people, you had like the people who were serving in Afghanistan yeah. and Iraq and young guys, you know, men and women over there, uh, special forces. Uh-huh. You had corporate people. You had not people from the nonprofit world. Uh-huh. You had people who were, you know, municipal uh, municipal office, office holders uh-huh. around the country. You had 100 people from overseas. Huh. You had people from like Africa and Asia and China, Israelis and Palestinians in the same class who don't mix in Israel, but they're mixing there. What do you learn there? You learn about people's humanity. That's what you, that's what I learned about the positiveness and the optimism that people have. And no matter how fucked up it seems on the surface, there is a huge contingent of people moving this country and this world forward on a daily basis all over the world. And that's the and these people there are, are con- just completely committed to that, to progress, human progress, trying to improve whatever society they come from. And it, it was just dynamite. We actually did comedy there. I did a thing with uh, Israelis and Palestinians 
we did a, a show. We got some Jewish American comedians and yeah. Palestinian Americans and did a show. Marshall Gantz was actually the moderator of it. But anyway, it was just a very positive experience. People trying to improve the society. Well, what kind of classes? Like, what are the nuts and bolts of it? Uh, I had a class with David Gergen. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. Um, we had a class on organizing, political organizing. Uh-huh. You have classes on negotiation. Huh. And the classes on... Um, some of the classes are more general. Yeah. And some of them you have to take certain, you know, mathematical mathematic classes, statistics. I had to take that. Uh-huh. That was tough. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was really hard. But um but I love being there. And it just, again, it's just the hope, the optimism, the feeling of that the that things can change in society and it's up to the people who are here to do the work. And, and then you, you get out and and then so the plan is I actually did the commencement address no. at Harvard that year. Yeah. Yeah. I at took the Kennedy I took, School? I took a I took a class yeah. called Arts and Communication. Yeah. And people say, Jimmy, you're a comedian. You've been in the arts for twenty years or whatever. So why are you taking this class? I said, Because I never studied it. I had no idea. I never took acting. I yeah. never took, uh, you know. What did you learn in that class? They had us watching commencement addresses, how people just give a commencement address, yeah. the story, the right. narrative. And kind of I had been doing that with right, the one-man sure. shows yeah. and comedy. But they showed us one with uh, Steve Jobs uh-huh. from Stanford, uh, his his commencement address. Great, great commencement address. And I asked the professor after, I said, do they do a commencement address here at Harvard? She goes, yeah. oh, Yeah. Every year, she goes, you should apply. They, they would love to have a funny one. Yeah. So I actually applied. You write for an essay. For the Kennedy School? No, for the whole school. For the whole, Harvard? I, I, yeah, the, the graduate school <laughs> commencement address at Harvard graduation, yeah. 2010. And I, it was like a, an audition. They had like 40 people from the law school, medical school, education school, business school, Kennedy School. They write essays and they apply. So this is the student address and then they have a celebrity? Yeah, yeah then they have like... Um, yeah, they had yeah. Judge Souter from the Supreme Court right, right. was the main person. Yeah. yeah, but they have the graduate student and they have an undergraduate right. student. So anyway, I made I you know, they have 30, 40 people, then they get it down to twenty, yeah. then they get it down to ten, then they get down to five. It's like people. the San Francisco it's Comedy like, Festival. <laughs> it was like that, man. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the whole comedy career really helped when it came down to this because I was practicing yeah. the address. I did this at the BCN riot. I know how I, to I, get it. I can get through this. That's exactly what I did, Mark. I was taking the commencement address and I was doing open mics with it. No. I was going into really? past seams. Yes. I was going into past seams. I was going into the comedy studio in Harvard Square. I was at the Cantab Lounge in Central Square. Oh no shit! And I was practicing. You're running the bits. I'm I'm running the speech, and I'm going. Listen, everybody. This is one night. It's funny. It's like one o'clock in the morning in the Cantab Lounge. Yeah. Half the audience is passed out. It's an open mic blues night, right? right. So it's one in the morning. <laughs> it's a Tuesday yeah. night. There, and I'm like, all right, listen. Thursday morning, I'm giving the commencement address at Harvard. Right? Yeah. I just want to practice it on you guys. What do you say? People, you know, Harvard sucks. You, yeah, know? Right. you get all these hecklers. In right. it. But the people dug it. And it it's just like doing a set for The Tonight Show or anything else. Was it 15 minutes? No, it was like, um, I think, eight minutes. Oh, eight yeah. Eight nine minutes or something. Uh-huh. But because it was humorous, people paid attention. And you could lean on some. Was it know. exciting? Oh, it was great. Did you meet Suter? I did not meet ah briefly, briefly. Yeah. But you know who was there? It was Meryl Streep was there? Oh, yeah. It's on YouTube. Okay. As a matter of fact, Jimmy Tingle's uh, Harvard commencement. You, Jimmy Tingle's Harvard commencement address. Yeah. She was laughing. Oh, she was digging it. Yeah. yeah. She was digging it. And so, how? So when you get out of there and you get your degree, uh, do you, now do you sideline 
comedy altogether to get into politics? And no? I took a year off to go. To, I just did a couple of events that I was already booked for, but uh-huh. I just focused on the school and. It, you know, I didn't even tell anybody I was going. I just mm. went because I didn't want to be the first person to flunk out of right. Harvard, the yeah. Harvard Kennedy School. Right, right. So I got out and I just, I realized a couple of things. The cultural influence yeah. of entertainment, yeah. how important it is. We're at the Kennedy School with all these people. They're doing really important work. Yeah. Then most of them are never on television. Right. They're never on the radio. Yeah. They're not in the cultural conversation the way w- that matches the importance of what they're doing. Mm. So I felt if I can stick with comedy and do what I'm doing, that's a great way to try to, you know, just uh, reach more people. Right. Really. And so that's I just went back into it and one person shows and started a little bit of an organization. It's a social enterprise called Humor for Humanity. Uh-huh. And that's uh, still in the early stages, right? It's a startup, but it's a way to use entertainment for purposes beyond entertainment. Uh-huh. Want to hear our mission statement? Yeah. Humor for Humanity, more than entertainment, raising spirits, funds, and awareness for nonprofits, charities, and social causes. Our mission is your mission. Humor for humanity. Humor in helping, humor in healing, humor and hope. Ha ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's basically a, a kind of a uh, you, you uh, set up shows for for different yeah, different uh, nonprofits. Yeah. Oh, nonprofits, nonprofits. Oh, that's progressive. That seems like a good idea. Yeah, it's fun. Is it for comedy? You, yeah, you got we, comedians. Yeah, you, I do some. You comedians. got a roster. I, uh, you know, I have some friends that yeah. I've done some with. Um, I just did one at the Harvard Club, actually, raised money for the Kennedy School New England Alumni Association, the board that I'm on. And, it, you know, they help with the social, uh, the nonprofits in the Boston area. But it's still in the early stages. I've been doing it primarily as a solo, yeah. just because it's simpler. Yeah. You know, um, where I perform and, you know, MC or whatever, sure. whatever they need. Yeah. And it's fun, but it's a way to actually have an impact beyond just the entertainment part. Yeah. And that's the and that's the biggest thing. And that's why I ran for office. You ran for what, Lieutenant Governor? I ran for Lieutenant Governor of Massachusetts, and that's what this show at the Wilbur's about on December twenty eighth. It's about it's called Twenty Twenty Vision. Yeah. And it's Jimmy Tingle's Twenty Twenty Vision is why would a comedian run for office? And it basically I'm, I'm, I'm explaining to people why I ran. Because people, when I first ran, they go, you know, you're a comedian. You don't know anything about politics. They think you just parachuted in and just... But I said, I've been committed to a lot of these issues for many years. I have the television clips to prove it. More than the president. Yeah. <laughs> I actually have a clip in the show from 60 Minutes where I'm doing a commentary on Donald Trump running for president in 1999. Yeah. And he... Uh, when he first announced that he was going to run, yeah. and the first time he floated the idea, yeah. 60 Minutes 2 did a you know a segment on him. Yeah. And I came out of that segment doing a two-minute commentary on no him. No kidding. A, a minute 40. Yeah, and I show that actually in the show at the Wilbur. So I've been committed to these things. The Tonight Show was great experience. Um, I was doing social and political humor at the time. The, you know, sure. And it was a great thing. Never wanted me back. You know, they didn't want it back at that time yeah. in 88. It was not like that. What They didn't want it. So this is the the show at the at the Wilbur. Yeah. Is uh, is primarily just about your engagement in politics and, you know, the experience of running running for, for office in a serious government. way. Yeah. So what 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 was it like? Did you have to put a whole campaign infrastructure oh, yeah. together? Oh, and, yeah, I did, man. Did and you know how to do all that stuff? I I. In a way, I did. I knew what it entailed, but by the I got in a little late. Yeah. First of all, and when you get in late to something, the other the staff have taken up from with other campaigns. Yeah. So the campaign managers that, you know, were 
would normally be available were taken up by other campaigns. Yeah. So that was a challenge. So I went for about you know, five or six months without a campaign manager, trying to do it as well as I could do it. But my motivation was really coming back to that story, trying to get help in 1987. Like when the guy at the, when I pick, call, yeah. picked, I called the detox yeah. and they said, you, after calling several places and getting the runaround, this guy said, you called the right place. Right. And I went in and it changed my life, right? And yeah. my whole motivation was, we need a society where anybody picks up a phone and reaches out for help. The answer on the other end always should be, you call the right place. Yeah, right. And that's the type of society we need in Massachusetts and around the country with the opioid and the drug addiction problems and the alcoholism that we have. Yeah. And so treating it as a medical issue, that was my primary motivation for, for running. That's a big issue in Massachusetts. It covers both sides of the aisle, rich, yeah. poor, black, white, sure. doesn't matter. And it's just a, a huge thing, and it's a big problem up there. But anyway, so that was like my basic motivation, but also all the other issues, the public transportation, how important it is. Yeah. You know, um, the, the when I did The Tonight Show, I was talking about guns. I was talking about homelessness. Yeah. I was talking about AIDS. Yeah. I was talking about all these issues right. that are still front and center. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? I just can't pay it. I just can't be a spectator anymore. I want to get involved. And when I saw Trump... When I saw Trump win, I said, you know what? If he can use his communication skills as an entertainer for his message, I can try to use my communication skills as an entertainer for our message. And people say, how did Trump win? And the, my estimation, he, short, simple sentences, short, simple messages, three words, mm. build the wall, yeah. drain the swamp, Belligerent lock her up. Anger. <laughs> yeah. Belligerent, shameless yeah. anger also. Y yes. Yeah. It speaks build to the a lot wall. of people. Build, it does. <laughs> build the wall, drain the swamp, lock her up, make, Amer make America great. You know, those three words. You know what? We have our own three words. Can I tell you two? Yeah, let's Can go. I tell you, Mark? Do it up. Feed the hungry. How's that, brother? Nice. How's the homeless? Yeah. Heal the sick. There you go. Welcome the stranger. And I would add, Mark, for the people in Boston, and fix the T, which is our train. <laughs> if John F. Kennedy could inspire a generation to go to the moon, we can get a train to go to Springfield, Massachusetts. In New York, we can get the L train to run on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. And I think if we put our heads together, we could connect, get a train to connect North Station to South Station in the great city Why of Boston. Not? <laughs> <laughs> but that was the type of motivation. Right. That's what so, I was into. So you feel that this show that you're doing at the Wilbur on December 28th, is part of the goal to inspire people yes, to get involved? to take action. Yes. It's part of the goal. It's to tell the story, why I did it. It was a serious campaign. I'm still going to be involved. I'm still doing whatever How I can do. How bad you lose? Uh, we got 213,000 votes. Three, uh, 213,000. Good news is we got 213,313 votes, and first time running came in second place. The bad news, two-person race. <laughs> <laughs> But we have 41% of the vote in the primary. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great, man. You're going to run again? Great. I might. I don't know. I don't know. If, if, if there was a unique, you know, if there was something I felt like I could, I was uniquely qualified to help with, yeah. I, 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 I would consider it. Yeah. But, um, and so it was a great thing, but my whole message is get involved. If you don't like what's going on, turn off the television set, call your local yeah. Democratic Party, call, get behind one of the candidates that are running for president, get behind people, help in the state legislature, do something. You know, yeah. It's fun. It's cathartic. I helped with Hillary. The way I got involved, I was doing events for Hillary Clinton with Bonnie Frank uh -huh. in 2016 in October, yeah. and we're doing these gigs, and we're fundraisers for her, right? Yeah. In September and October- 
And it was a blast. Bonnie would do five minutes or 10 minutes of get out the vote. Right? Yeah. I'd do like 10 minutes of comedy. Yeah. And after the last one, I said, Bonnie, you think it's too late to run for office in a serious way? He goes, no, not at all. He goes, after the election, let's have lunch. So in the next month, I do what I always do. Every election, every four years, I get my sign. I make phone calls. I knock on doors. I go up to New Hampshire and knock on doors and get involved and make phone calls and donate, do fundraisers, whatever. And you meet people who are like-minded you get it out of your system. It's cathartic. So when she lost, I didn't feel as horrible as I would have if I didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of funny stories. I'll tell you one funny story. I'm in Central Square. Came, you know Central yeah, Square, right? Sure. I got my sign on election day. Let's do this. Yeah. It's election day. Let's do this. Yeah. Right? And people, a lot of the people ignore you. They're coming up out of the subway. They got their headphones on. They're not paying attention. Yeah. After a couple of hours of this, I start getting upset. Listen, people, I did not risk my life at the Battle of the Bulge <laughs> so people could not vote on election day. Get involved. They're walking past me, not even listening. <laughs> right. Right. Two hours later, I get even more bizarre. It's the end of the day. It's election day. People are tired. I'm delirious. I say, listen, you people. Listen, you kids. I did not take a musket ball to the knee <laughs> at the Battle of Bunker Hill so young professionals in Cambridge, Massachusetts could squander <laughs> their constitutional rights to vote. Yeah. This kid comes up to me, about 19 years old, dead serious, yeah. looks me in the eye and says, thank you for your service. <laughs> taking that musket ball. I know we're all getting older, Mark, but 241. <laughs> you look great. Thank you, brother. <laughs> but that's my message. Get involved, and we got to do it statewide, and we got to do it in the swing states. Yeah, we got to we got to get the ground troops, man. You know. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I think you're right. I'm scared, and uh, I'm also excited. Yeah, yeah. I guess you got. I think that's the other thing. Is like you know there was a. A sort of component to uh, the 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 other to, to our side, we get discouraged and despairing, and there's you know it's hard to hopelessness is pervasive, you, yeah. you know, because we really see you know so many of the things that we think are important diminishing, you know, not not the least of which is the planet, yeah, and you know it's hard to 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 have faith or to to feel like anything's gonna to help. And I and I think that's a personal problem, and I and I think we got to transcend that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're all very sensitive. You know, and the <laughs> other thing is, let's just say people listen and they want to help Mayor yeah. Pete, or they want to help Elizabeth Warren, or they want yeah. to help Biden. Whoever you want to help, help them. But at the end of the day, we got to come together. We need the Bernie people, the Elizabeth people, the Mayor Pete people. The Democrats got to come together yeah. and unite because if we don't, we're going to get a repeat of what happened last time. Uh, it's, I I. It, a repeat would be, I, I think, you know, sadly, uh, better than than more. Yeah. <laughs> do you know? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Great talking to you, Jim. Great talking to you, Mark. Thanks a million for having me, man. Yeah, man. That was Jimmy Tingle. Jimmy Tingle's 2020 vision at the Wilbur Theater in Boston is this Saturday, December 28th. Go to jimmytingle.com for uh, tickets. And all things Jimmy Tingle related, you can go to wtfpod.com slash tour for all of my tour dates. Please have a safe and happy holiday, uh, whatever you're doing, holidays. I'll talk to you right after Christmas. So we'll talk before New Year's. So Merry Christmas. I'm a goddamn Jew. Happy Hanukkah. Here now. 
is some music, some ethereal, distorting music for Christmas, Hanukkah, holidays, Jews, Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Lutherans, Catholics, uh, Baptists, Baha'i people. I don't know. I don't know. Here's some music. Boomer lives. Bye.